Good morning, everybody. I'm Emily. I'm one of the co-pastors here. We are in, well, first, before we start, I should let you know, it was my birthday yesterday. And I love my birthday. <laughs> so, so I don't mean to, but I just, I do love my birthday. All right. So we, thank you for loving it with me. We are in the third of a four-part series that we're doing on nurturing the spirit and spirituality. And I know when Ken started this series a couple of weeks back, he talked to you guys a little bit about how both he and I had been influenced and shaped by the, the Pentecostal stream of Christianity and how we, we feel like it's helped us develop um, an understanding of the, that the gifts the Spirit brings forth and the dynamics of what that can look like. I don't know if Ken would call himself a Pentecostal today. I suspect he would not. He's, he went home sick with a cold. Um, I do take the label. I have a bit of a tormented relationship with it, but I do consider myself sort of a Pentecostal. So part of my personal spiritual culture and formation is this like charismatic expression. So I was baptized as a kid into the Assemblies of God, which is a Pentecostal church. You might notice, um, especially if you're newer, you might notice I often have a more expressive worship style. I'm often kind of bouncing around. Sometimes I look like I want to dance because we used to do something called the charismatic two-step. Growing up, don't worry, I will never ask you to do that. <laughs> Part of that is just kind of my upbringing. It's my appreciation for the Pentecostal forms of that kind of expression of spirituality, and it feels natural for me. So what I want to talk about this morning, um, we're talking about nurturing the spirit, is this exuberant praise and music that's often associated with the more Pentecostal parts of the church. Because that kind of exuberant praise does serve a deep spiritual purpose. You know, so, I mean, it's kind of like, why do we say things like, I praise you, God? Praise God. I mean, it's kind of a weird thing to say. You know, like, is there just like some being in the sky that just wants, it's just waiting for us to be like, I praise you, I praise you. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I know when I was a kid, I was actually taught my, the sole reason I was created was to praise God and worship God, and that I would do that for all of eternity. So when I was like eight or 10, that just sounded like so boring and weird. But I've actually come to believe that like, praising God is, is very much about us. You know, it's something that does something in us that is also helpful. Um, it really boils down to two things when we look through the Bible for the reasons that people praise God. Praising God is about expressing thankfulness for everything that God has done. And praising God is expressing hope that God will continue to act in our world to bring about justice and peace. And so I like to think of praise as we're going to think about today as like the bridge between thankfulness and hope, or thankfulness and like a prophetic vision for the future. Praise reminds us to keep going when times are hard. So in the Pentecostal tradition, praising God isn't primarily an expression of like our personal private devotion to God. We certainly can praise God privately. So the idea is if we're in a real relationship with the divine spirit, Right? If we have a friendship with God, then like any relationship, it's nice to know that the other person appreciates you. Right? But in the Pentecostal tradition I come from, praising God is primarily a community event. And in that tradition, and I would even say to an extent in our Blue Ocean Church tradition here, we gather together to sing praises to God because it helps us focus on a communal expectation that God can and will act on behalf of the oppressed because God has done so before. So the writers of scripture were nearly always writing in times when they were um, an oppressed or a marginalized people. And in the same way, like the modern Pentecostal movement came about largely among the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized. 
So singing together, when we come together into a space to praise God, it's a social experience in which people from all different walks of life come together and we affirm our unity and our oneness in God. And there's something really powerful about that feeling. And you can get that feeling not just coming to church, right? You can get those going to concerts even. There's something really powerful about that draw. But in the faith setting, it's supposed to affirm that none of us is better than any of the others. Right? That no matter what our economic, our social, our racial, our educational backgrounds, we choose to take part in a ritual of coming together to praise God and give thanks because it affirms our equality before God. Right? So in our cultural setting, it's a reminder that even if in America, large swath of our culture and of the American church are infected with racist beliefs and systems, we affirm that God is not a white supremacist. It's a reminder that even in America and large swaths of the American church believe that God favors the wealthy, that God does not favor the wealthy. And we remind ourselves that even if in America and large swaths of the American church, people believe that God favors men over women or straights over queers or any other hierarchical status before God, that God doesn't play by our rules. And I think this is what the Apostle Paul was getting at in his own context when he said there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, neither is there male nor female, you are all one in Christ. Right, so singing praises together should lead us to a greater sense of justice and inclusion. And I say should because it often does not. But if we have this understanding of why we do what we do, I think we can allow ourselves to be shaped by that idea. And in that way, praising God should lead us to acts of justice because we're understanding ourselves as having equal belovedness before God. And that should cause us to hope for a more just and peace, peaceful and loving world for everyone. Right? So just as all of us are welcome at the table of God, all of us deserve equal dignity. So praise should be liberating. It's like that last song that we sang that Cassie led, right? Where your freedom reigns in your presence. It should be a liberating sense. It gives a sense of self-worth to the oppressed along with their allies who are suffering along with them. Now, I've been around the charismatic Pentecostal block a few times, and I know it doesn't always have that effect. And I have a whole host of critiques about how this stream of Christianity has gotten off track in the U.S., and I wrote some of those in the book sharing a bunch this morning, I thought, I just don't, I, I don't even want to approach it from that way. I thought what might be more helpful is just thinking about like, what, what do I look for when I'm evaluating a situation with an eye to whether or not the spirit is moving in a space? And so I just wanted to share more personally, here's what I look for. First, the spirit tends to move mightily among the oppressed. Right, so whenever you're looking throughout scripture, the spirit is present and manifesting among people who have been oppressed. We saw this also with the early Pentecostal movement. We see this, I think, in part because in the presence of God, when the spirit is present, we're breaking down those barriers that have divided us. And when we're manifesting that breaking down of barriers, that unity in Christ, the presence of God is here, the coming kingdom of God, kingdom of God, the good realm of God, whatever we want to call it, is starting to break forth, and that is the presence of God that is manifesting. So I tend to look for the spirit doing things mightily among the oppressed. The second one is that the, the spirit is not power-seeking, and this is a really big one. The spirit doesn't justify political power or wealth, and this is where, in my opinion, the American Pentecostal tradition has largely gotten off course is when it started to seek political power, when it aligned itself with sort of the fundamentalist evangelicals in the 30s and 40s and then in the 80s, 
hooked up together with the, the, with the religious right, and it kind of like the Pentecostal stream sort of breathed this, this sort of spiritual, you've seen it, it's like the stuff that you want to make fun of on TV. Um, breathe like a spiritual authority into something that was not actually of God. You know, the, the religious right, I mean, they can say it started over abortion, but we'll just name, it was over um, segregation of schools. Christian schools didn't want to, didn't want to be fully desegregated, right? And so this, they were using the spirit to sort of justify power and white supremacy and all of these these ugly things, and when that happens, when you start to use some of this um, sort of the, the gifts of the spirit, I don't know how, I'm struggling for words because I come from this, and so it feels like this very raw space for me. Um, and when you see it, it's just ugly. Like, a couple of weeks ago, I saw a video, and it was of a bunch of white Pentecostals in the White House who were meeting to go and lay hands on President Trump. And they had all of this like charismatic praise going on and there was prophecy and a lot of praising God. And I just, like, it just made my stomach turn <laughs> because I thought, that's my stream and it's being misused, right? That, that, that's my stream of Christianity. And I started reading back through the prophets this week as I was preparing for this sermon and I was just struck actually by how many of the prophets just like would like call this out and I thought there's just nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. Wherever there has been power or political power, there have always been some people who clothe themselves in a spiritual righteousness and try and like exert their own influence using it. Jeremiah said, the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them or appointed them or spoken to him them. They're prophesying to you false visions, divinations, idolatries, and delusions of their own minds. Later, Jeremiah says, don't listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. Lamentations, the, visit, the visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin to ward off your captivity. The prophecies they gave you were false and misleading. This is a big one, I think, from the Lamentations. They were saying that the prophets didn't expose the sin that warded off their captivity or their calamity. So to me, this tells us that the, the true spirit of the prophetic is helping expose underlying sin that is leading to the animosity, right? So in our culture, we are not doing the hard work of exposing the underlying foundational sins that we have as a culture and doing the work to rectify those. We're just covering over them, right? That we've had a racial hierarchy and a gender hierarchy throughout our entire history and that those have been part of who we are. And instead of trying to like take the baton forward on that, people are just prophesying that our current leaders are, you know, of God and all the rest. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They don't belong to the counsel of my people. Jesus, wash out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. Inwardly, they're ferocious wolves. All right, so what I, I'm looking for here is the spirit isn't power-seeking, and when the spirit starts to be aligned with, with power, it starts to get ugly. The third thing is, I think the spirit, when I see it moving, is breaking down barriers to inclusion in the family of God. Right? God doesn't have any barriers. We make them. Everyone is invited to the table and to the family of God, and we don't have to come. We don't you know, have to make that choice, but everybody is invited and the barriers that we put up as to who is more righteous or who is more 
included or who is able to lead or not lead. That isn't what the Spirit is doing. We see that throughout um, the Apostle Paul's writings, but Ephesians 2.14 has always been one of my favorite. It talks about Christ being our peace, who has made us one and who has broken down the barriers that have divided us. And there is no peace without justice. Right? There's no peace without justice. So we have to do justice work in order to break down those barriers. And where that is happening, the Spirit is at work. And the fourth is that the fruit of the Spirit is good, right? Jesus says you will know a good tree from a bad tree by its fruit. What is coming of a good tree versus what is coming from a tree that is not of God? Now, I want to say all of these things that can be happening can be happening, like um, the spirit could be moving among the oppressed, spirit could be like breaking people's power dynamics open and creating more equality, the spirit can be breaking down barriers to the inclusion in the family of God, the fruit can be good, and it can look like that in a liturgical setting. It can look like that in a very more quiet, gentle setting than maybe some of us um, have grown up in. So I'm not saying like the more boisterous the praise, the better. I think cultural expression does play a part in how things appear. But I am saying that the joy that the oppressed and the allies of the oppressed have, they find encouragement in praising God that's often more exuberant. So even if a more expressive style of praising God isn't you, that's okay. Right? So I'm not going to ever ask you to be something that you're not. But I do want you to feel equipped to understand why sometimes... Um, our songs are sometimes quite expressive. Why we sing some of those songs, I want you to feel equipped to evaluate when and how the Spirit is moving in a worship situation. Maybe you're not as familiar with it. So like if you went into a Pentecostal setting, how would you be able to tell if it's a spiritually healthy environment or if it's a manipulative environment? And sometimes there's a little admixture of both that are going on in those. So like, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, we, we've been connecting with a network called the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries. And Carla went with me to their conference last summer, and it's largely made up of black church leaders who are um, fully affirming, many of them are LGBTQ, and Pentecostal in background. And we walked into that setting, and I mean, the music was absolutely incredible. People are dancing in the aisles, they're shouting and singing and praises. And for me, that felt like home. And it's like, oh, the spirit was at work among the oppressed, breaking down barriers for people who have been cast out of much of the larger church. And it just, you could just tell the spirit and the joy was bubbling up. Now, I want to get back to the idea that this act of praising God is a bridge between thankfulness and hope. So often in the scripture, we see people of God praising God just as an act of thanksgiving, right? In 2 Samuel, David praises God for delivering him from his enemies. And in Nehemiah, they praise God for, for writing a systemic injustice. And in Luke 2, Simeon praised God because God had promised him that he would see the Messiah before he died. And Mary and Joseph came up with a little baby, and as soon as his eyes saw it, he said, I praise you, God. And in Luke 5, the people were praising God because creative um, believers made a way for the paralyzed man to have access to Jesus. Right, so praise is going on and on. It's an act of thanksgiving. It's saying, thank you, God. And when we have that thankfulness, it creates an atmosphere of expectation that God will continue to act in the world on behalf of those who follow the way of love. So oftentimes in Pentecostal services, praise is thank you quickly turns into praise is hope. Right? And it kind of toggles back and forth between this, these two things. Right? So the idea is that because God has acted on behalf of the oppressed in the past, thank you, Jesus, 
We remind ourselves that we can have hope that God is acting and will continue to act to liberate people in the future. Right? And so we see this framework in most of the prophets and we see it throughout the Psalms where the writers remember the stories of the past when they're calling on God to help them right now in the present and in the future. So you'll see it like throughout Isaiah and Jeremiah. You see it in Hebrews from chapter 11 into chapter 12. It's oftentimes this bridge of like, here are all the things that you have done with this list and then onto our hope for the future because this is who you are. So this is where I'm, I want to do something a little bit experimental and um, so just give me a little bit of grace. I mean, it was my birthday yesterday. Um, <laughs> I, thought, I, want, I want to try and like, paint a picture of this, and this comes from my, my Pentecostal background, and we don't do a lot of this here. Um, I tried to get some of the musicians to help me earlier, and I totally botched it, and I felt like, really bad about it. So we're going to try it this way. I'm going to spend a little bit of time just praying out loud in a way that's very repetitive, and if you feel moved to say amen or hallelujah or have some kind of response, that's fine. And if you don't, that is okay too. Um, but you can pray along with me, either eyes open or eyes shut. And I'm just going to move us from a long list of thanking God for what God has done in the way that Jeremiah and the Hebrews does into a sense of hope, just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about when we're talking about this kind of praise that's coming from the Pentecostal tradition. Okay, are you ready? I'm only sort of ready for this. <laughs> so we would say, oh, God, Jesus, we praise you. We praise you because you made the heavens, and we praise you because you made the earth. And we praise you because you were the author of our life, that you've made the sun and the moon and the stars. We praise you that you've made the ocean and that you've given life into the ocean and you've made the birds of the air and you've created the animals. We create, you've created all of creation for us humans and we give you praise for that. We praise you that you set the humans down into this earth temple that you created for us and you gave us stewardship as like priests in the temple of the most high God. And sometimes we don't always do our best job at stewarding, but God, we praise you that you've given us that mantle and that anointing and that you're going to call us to go out and continue to act on that, that we would be stewards of your earth. God, you were the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but you are not only the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, giving them a promise of blessing the world. You are also the God of Sarah and of Hagar and of Rachel and of Leah and of Rebecca, and you were the God of Ishmael as much as you are the God of Isaac. You are the God who called Moses to lead your people out of slavery in Egypt. You are the God who took a people who were oppressed and being beaten down, and you brought them into liberation. You are the God who led them across the Red Sea, and you rose it up, and you caused them to come through, and you vanquished their enemies. You're the God who took that time, and you sprung that song up in Miriam's heart, and she sang out praise to you from the other side. You are the God that frees from captivity. You're the God who gave the law in order to bring prosperity to the people. You were the God who gave us food when there's no food to eat. You brought us water. When all of the water was bitter, you caused it to turn sweet. You led us through the wilderness. You remembered us when we were nothing. 
I'm remembering Flint when I'm saying that water. You sent your presence to guide us with a cloud by day and fire by night. You showed your faithfulness to Ruth, a Moabite, an outsider, and you raised her up as an outsider, and you made her the grandmother of one of the greatest leaders in all of history. And you answered the prayers of Hannah, and you gave her a son that her heart longed for, and you allowed a teenager, and you blessed his, his rock, and you let it hit the forehead of that giant and you kept your witnesses Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and you kept them safe in the fiery furnace in the same way that you're going to keep your people safe in the fiery furnace today. You protected Daniel from the mouth of a hungry lion. You brought your people from captivity in Babylon and you gave them the land and you told them to rebuild their temple and rebuild Jerusalem. You are the God who tells us to treat the foreigner and the outsider as equals. You're the God who tells us to care for the poor and the orphan and the widow in the same way we care for our families. You are the God who calls Deborah to lead as much as you call David. You sent your son, Jesus, and you gave him a commitment to the poor and to the outcasts. And you gave his evidence, his suffering and his death and his resurrection. And you raised your son to declare God's death unjust. And you give us hope of radical transformation in the same way you did Peter and you did Paul. And you give us a sense of purpose. Like Lydia in the New Testament, who was a businesswoman. And you gave Mary Magdalene a sense of purpose, the first evangelist of the resurrection and you sent your spirit on Pentecost and you made available not just to the priests and to the kings or to the men or to the people who think that they're wealthy and ruling the world that you broke out this spirit and you gave it to all of humankind unfettered unhindered all of us have this access to the divine spirit of God who is love and who is working on our behalf because this is who you are you are a liberator you're a savior you're a God of the downtrodden you are the God who comes close and you comfort us, empower us, and free us. You act on behalf of the least powerful. You care when we're hungry, and when we're thirsty, and when we're sleepy, and when we're exhausted. You're a God who is accessible. You have our back. You're a God who is good all the time. And the black church tradition is saying God is good all the time because that is God's nature. And because you're good, God, because you're our help in times of trouble, we praise you and we thank you. And because we know this about you through our stories and through our history and through the testimonies that have been given, because we know from our personal history here in this church that you tried to kick your people out of the larger church and here you are, Lord, doing a miracle. You're springing up all of these places of life and resurrection for your queer brothers and sisters, Lord Jesus. I ask, Lord, that you would come and that you would do it again and that even when times are hard and tough, even in those parts of our lives where we're discouraged and we're downcast, even when it feels like the world is crashing in on us, even when our boss is being awful, when the political climate is discouraging and when all hope seems lost, even when it looks like we're sliding into like fascism, even when our kids are struggling and our health is poor, when our systems are corrupt and our children are unjustly jailed, especially our brown brothers and sisters being unjustly jailed, when the demonic power of white supremacy is rearing its ugly head, even when people are persecuting us for the color of our skin, the person we love, or the level of education we have, we have seen you act on your people's behalf. And we expect that you're going to do it again. And even if it's after our time on earth has passed, we know you're going to do it because you've done it before. Amen. And you're going to do it again because it's who you are. preach like that. <laughs> That's a little gift from the Pentecostal background of nurturing the spirit. You can try this on your own at home. 
in your room where nobody's listening. Poor Rachel, I was like, on the way here, I was actually thinking this is either going to be totally embarrassing for her or... <laughs> right, this, this act of turning praise to hope that's meant to be an encouragement for the discouraged. Can you understand why it takes place or why it ferments among the oppressed? Can you understand why it ferments among the poor, why it ferments along the black churches, why it is fermenting among Pentecostals around the world? You know, the two-thirds world is, is, is the hotbed of Christianity right now. The average Christian, sociologists tell us, is a 20-year-old female in Nairobi, Kenya. Can I get an amen from Ben, my Kenyan Pentecostal brother? Um, that is where the spirit is fermenting because the spirit works among the oppressed. And maybe you're having a hard time going up a mountain right now. And maybe you need to hear about somebody who's already gone up that mountain and come down the other side. That's what this is supposed to be. We know the way over and we'll testify to it. So two of the gifts of the spirit that are outlined in the New Testament are the gifts of encouragement and the gifts of prophecy. And I think when this kind of praise erupts, that's is what we're doing, right? We're encouraging the discouraged and it's building hope and it's declaring prophetically that another future is possible, a more just future is possible. And it declares that God is with us, will continue to be with us, and will always have our back. And before we enter into our time of meditation, I want to call your attention uh, to the first song that we're going to do after communion. I don't know if you want to look at the, the words here. Lift every voice and sing. It's often called the Black National Anthem. So at Blue Ocean, we try to walk the line of singing music that reaches a diverse audience without culturally appropriating um, songs or genres. And I think that's important for those of us, especially those of us who are white, to be sensitive to this. But we are thrilled when Toni Jones asked us if she could sing, lift every voice and sing. So today, Toni is going to lead us in that song after we do communion. And I hope that you just receive this. Um, as the gift that it is and that you'll see in the song that there's praising God for the faith that was received, for walking a hard past, and then it also goes into receiving hope for seeking equality and greater dignity in the future. So feel free to sing with her if you'd like or just close your eyes and listen. All right, we'll do a little meditation. We often do two minutes of guided meditation or silence. I thought today with the spirit present among praise that maybe you can just take a few moments to picture Jesus or God, however you understand God, there with you, and just thank God or praise God for the way God has been faithful to you in your life and express some hope for ways that you would like to see God's faithfulness to you in the future. And I'll keep my eye on the time babies and people make noise, so don't worry about that. Come, Spirit.
Jesus, you've been faithful to us. We thank you for your present, that you are our present help, and we call on you to be with us as we go forth into the world. Let our praise manifest itself in doing acts of justice and kindness as we bring more of your good realm into this world in which we live. Amen. All right.